This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, the latest news and views from the Premier League in podcast form. Hit subscribe now and you will not miss a show. On today's podcast, we'll look ahead to the derby that isn't a derby, the rivalry which isn't really a rivalry, the game that has nothing to do with the M23 or the A23, it's Brighton against Crystal Palace. Big game for the Eagles who haven't won a Premier League game in 2023. Vieira really needs three points as Palace hurtle towards trouble at a rapid pace. Speaking of that relegation battle, bottom side Southampton can move out of the relegation zone tonight and go a point clear if they beat Brentford at home. That's just how close it is right now at the foot of the Premier League table. Those domestic games tonight happening whilst Liverpool are in European action. Can they overturn a 5-2 deficit against Real Madrid? After the Sunday before last against Man United, the answer was probably yes, they can. After Saturday against Bournemouth, the answer was probably no, they can't. But I can't imagine the aggregate score at the Bernabeu will look anything as menacing as Manchester City's win over Leipzig last night. A 7-0 victory, 8-1 on aggregate, just the five goals for Erling Haaland. All of that to come on FSD today, an award-winning podcast. My name's Niall and in the studio today we've got Marley Anderson. All right, Marley? Good morning. And not in the studio, we've got Joel Tudor who forgot to turn up today. Joel, explain yourself. Well, like I said, I had, I had a bit of a premonition that we wouldn't um, be interviewing today and I got it right. So I saw Marley's panic <laughs> message this morning saying, oh my God, I'm at the train station. I thought, thank God for that. I didn't turn up. <laughs> <laughs> well, in all seriousness, we were meant to be speaking to former Manchester United man, Ben Thornley, a former class of 92 member, of course, but unfortunately he's not feeling well today. So wishing him all the best. We will be catching up with Ben very, very soon. But you can listen to any of our other interviews that we've done with former Premier League players over the last few weeks just by scrolling back in the timeline. We've spoken to Pascal Chimbonda, Francis Bernali. And if you are a Man United fan, Wes Brown and Brian McClare have been chatting to us as well in recent weeks and you don't want to miss those interviews. And if you don't want to miss the interview with Ben or any subsequent players that we speak to on the show, hit subscribe and that way you will be notified as soon as the next episode is ready. But for today, let's take a look at tonight's Premier League games because there are two of them tonight and they're two big ones, particularly at the bottom of the table. Let's start with Brighton against Crystal Palace, a big game between these two clubs, not so big outside of the respective fan bases. Let's start from a Palace perspective, Marley. This game is big anyway because of the dislike between the supporters, but for the Eagles and in particular Patrick Vieira, with their current form, it's huge, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, one thing that uh, not many people have been focusing on is how bad Crystal Palace have been for for quite a while now. I thought they started the season all right, and then you know they they sort of they get by on this narrative that like oh they've got a young exciting team, you know Eze and Zahar and Elise, they're all good dribblers and stuff. But there's there's not enough end product with Crystal Palace at the minute, and. They they just seem to be meandering along like they did under under Roy Hodgson, um, but just with his slightly more exciting players, but not actually producing any any kind of um, form which which would push them anywhere other than where they always finish. So um, they are, are right on the edge of this relegation battle royal going down in the uh, in the bottom half of the Premier League table. They're right on the edge of it. I think they're like three or four points off the bottom three. Um, as we know, every weekend in the Premier League now, mm. there's some, there's at least one six-pointer going on because there's that <laughs> many teams in the bottom half um, fighting for, you know, to stay out of the relegation zone. That 
you know, everybody's climbing all over each other, like a, you know, a box of frogs just climbing all over each other. But <laughs> it's uh, it's big for Palace. They've got to improve quickly because there's talent in that squad and Vieira's, you know, he's had enough time now to start producing some sort of concrete form off the back of it and they're not really doing it. And you look at Brighton, who are a similar size club and similar sort of, um, like, infrastructure and, and resources and things like that. And Brighton are, you know, flying and punching well above their weight and Crystal Palace have never done that. And, you know, they need to uh, they need to have something really to, to sort of set them apart from this bottom, bottom eight or bottom seven that are all scrapping each other. Yeah, if you just took a glance at the table and didn't really assess it in too great a detail, you'll see Palace there in 12th and think, okay, they're fine. Yeah. But they're only three points above the relegation zone, as you say, and they haven't won a Premier League game in 2023. You look at their statistics, they've won just six games this season. That's fewer than the likes of Wolves who are below them, Leicester, mm. and the same as clubs like Southampton and Bournemouth. So they've not won that many games this season, Crystal Palace. So you can understand why the fans might be quite concerned. If Crystal Palace do lose tonight to Brighton, not only will that be disappointing for the fans because of that rivalry, what will the feeling be like from the fans towards Patrick Vieira, do you think, from a Crystal Palace perspective, Joel? Because in general, I think we know that the Palace fans do quite like Patrick Vieira, but if this form continues, if they aren't already, they absolutely will be in a relegation fight. Yeah, it's it's like we've all been saying, those teams that are 12th and below, they're all... Uh, they're all vulnerable to the drop. It just seems like none of them can really seem to get any consistency going. And when you look at all of the forms of all the clubs around them, it is really poor. And <clears throat> I think this game in particular is a massive one for them because obviously Brighton have an amazing home record this year, but they got Arsenal away to come just next after it. And I mean, losing two games back to back in this type of table, it's going to take them all the way probably down to 16th, 17th, if they're not careful. So... I think for Palace fans, they're probably very in the middle in terms of how they view Patrick Vieira because literally like Marley said, it feels like from an outside view that, oh, Palace are just, you know, trumbling along, they're doing well, they've got a young team, a lot of young, exciting prospects. But when you actually look into the statistics and what's actually going on there, they're one of the worst form teams in the Premier League at the moment and that's definitely cause for concern. Um, it wasn't long ago that you used to see, you know, the likes of Joachim Anderson being in the headlights, uh, headlines, sorry, maybe not in the headlights now, but in the headlines for, you know, how good he was in terms of his form. And I think the fact that Wilfred Zaha's got this contract situation over his head that needs to be addressed soon, I don't know if that's having an impact on his form, because uh, he's usually the guy that can get them between 10 and 15 Premier League goals a season and get them out of these kind of situations. But on the flip side as well, if they can get some kind of result here, Let's say they win tonight, get them on 30 points. That takes them really nicely away from that 18th position. But again, you don't know what the teams are going to do below them. If Bournemouth and West Ham can get a result in their next game, it takes them even closer. So there's no opportunity for any team at the moment to rest on the laurels. They really need to consistently get results. And every single game feels like more than three points. It feels like just a complete victory in terms of psychological boosts from the teams around them and just morale so it's gonna be a big game for them tonight and also the next one against Arsenal you're right about the form Crystal Palace are in the worst form in the Premier League zero wins in the last 10 games with five draws and five defeats in that run Brighton meanwhile fourth in the form table 
with five wins in the last 10, three draws and two defeats. So if you're talking about which side on paper should win this game, it's absolutely Brighton. I just wonder if Crystal Palace are going to get a result, how they're going to do it. Because I don't think, Marley, that up front, they're particularly potent. You're right when you talk about Eze and Olise, I think, is a really good young player. Zaha, we know the statistics for Crystal Palace when he's not in the side, how little they win. But when you think at the sharp end, Osson Edouard, Jean-Philippe Mateta, they're just not goal scorers. They just can't find a way to score. And then, as Michael Owen once said, if you don't score, you hardly ever win. Yeah, the, the great philosopher of our time, <laughs> Michael Owen, yeah. Um, no, but you mentioned there, like, you know, Brighton should win this game on paper, but it's been like that the last two or three times they've played. And just looking at the, the record, because I, I remember that Palace haven't lost this game in, in ages, and it's the last seven games, um, despite Brighton being always really good in possession, always a team that, you know, uh, since sort of Potter's era, let's say, um, that they've always been comfortably the better side, I think, than, than Crystal Palace. But the last seven games, it's been four draws and three wins for, um, sorry, five draws and two wins for, for Crystal Palace. You know, most four of those draws end in 1-1. Um, sorry, all five of those draws end in 1-1. So if you're going to put a bet on, on the match tonight, I'd maybe go for 1-1. But Crystal Palace uh, uh, keep nicking something from somewhere against Brighton in this fixture. I don't quite know how. Maybe it's the, the rivalry thing, The if you want to call it a, a rivalry. Um, it's it's something that they seem to get up for. But in general level of play, mm. I mean, this should easily be a, a Brighton win and win by two or three goals to be honest because yeah. you look at the players in form Mitoma's absolutely flying McAllister's scoring and, and playing really well Evan Ferguson's doing well up front Caicedo's settled back down again um, and you look at Palace and you're thinking you know yes there's flair players there but like you say there's there's no cutting edge up front They've I've, I've been critical of them in previous years for signing um, for not signing strikers and not having a go for it then they sign Mateta and Edward, and it's like alright they've actually paid a bit of money and, and gone for it a little bit and seeing if they can do it but the pair of them have scored like what did they score like one in four games or something it's it's not good enough to to propel Crystal Palace up the table mm. and you look at like I look at Palace's starting 11 and going right Eze's is quite good if, if you if you want to say that he can unlock something for you and Zaha's obviously done what he's done in the past seven years he's been at Palace or whatever it's been but then you look at the starting eleven. They've also got Joel Ward starting at right back, and Jeffrey Schlupp in midfield. Nothing wrong with Joel Ward. He's 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 rubbish. No, he's not. He's not. He's he's not. <laughs> he's not a starting right back in a team that wants to go anywhere. If if that makes sense, like he's just he's sort of solid squad player. He's not a starting right back. The Palace have always had players like that, though, haven't they? And that's, the what, and, that, and that's what I think they need to get away from. I, you can have players like that. Good pros, you might yeah, say. Yeah, good solid. Like yeah. Tony Pulis, I can almost hear his voice. Good solid pro in. Good <laughs> solid pro. But it's th- that that level of player isn't good enough to get you into the top ten consistently and into the, the have a push for Europe, stuff like that. Like that's what Palace should be trying to do. They've been a solid Premier League team for ten years or whatever. Is that it's part been. of a wider debate about Crystal Palace then? Because ambition. I'm always stunned when I read about Crystal Palace. They've never won a major trophy. In over a hundred years of history yeah. at that football club and the amount of seasons they've spent in the top flight and the amount of quality players they've had through their history, they've never once won a trophy. I might 
be wrong can't, here. Can't, can't count the playoffs in that. Yeah, I don't think they've ever won either of the top two leagues either. I think when they've come up to the Premier League, it's always been via the playoffs. They've yeah, yeah. won the title. Yeah. So you're talking about a side who perennially don't win. So yeah. I guess that's part of a wider debate about Crystal Palace. How yeah. long do you stay in the Premier League before it just becomes stale? I mean, would they rather be... Well, of course, they wouldn't rather be in a relegation fight. But you know what I mean? In terms yeah. of the excitement of being a supporter of Palace, yeah. you're always finishing 12th, 13th, 14th. Yeah. Well, they ditched Hodgson for that reason, I thought. Like, there was nothing wrong with what Hodgson was doing, but it was a bit boring. And it was a bit, uh, you know, rinse and repeat. We'll finish 12th, 13th, and we'll we'll win as many games as we lose and we'll draw the rest. And it's... That's kind of it. And I think they were brave to go for Vieira, but once you've gone for it with the manager, you need to go for it with the playing squad as well. Now. Mm. I, do, I know they're not the richest club in the um, in the Premier League and things like that um, in terms of wage budgets and, and transfer war chests and stuff, and there's a lot of rich clubs around them and below them. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's they're a bit pragmatic, really. Um, is that wrong? Not if you're staying in the Premier League every year, but... You know, as you say, it can get a bit boring for the fans, I would assume, mm. because they probably do want to see well, you know, they were, their, they were, their, their flair players unleashed and have a go. They were within a few points of Europe last season. Towards the end of last season, there might have been eight or nine games to go, mm. and they had a good chance, and they had a decent run of fixtures, and they blew it. They blew it. They 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 play, They play. didn't win enough games, and then they think they ended up finishing 10th or something mid-table, something like that. Yeah, um, Brighton like, finished above them. The longer you stay and, there as well, like the more... You know, the better players you have, you know, you're more susceptible to, to getting them taken off you. Like, I look at Joachim Anderson, I think he's brilliant. I think he's far too good for Crystal Palace. I think he could walk into the Spurs team or the Newcastle team mm. or uh, it, well, if we get Europe, I think he could get into the uh, into the uh, Liverpool team, to be honest, alongside Virgil van Dijk and then replace him when he goes because he's only like 26. But so as long as you're there in mid-table and you're thinking when it, we're not close to relegation mm. and we're not close to Europe. Yeah. What is here for me? I just think the better players can go and the worst players don't get picked You know, for anyone. But they are in mid-table Crystal Palace and such is how close the Premier League is this season. They are near the bottom as well mm. in a strange way. And that relegation fight will certainly be of interest to Brentford and Southampton tonight who clash at St Mary's in the other game in the Premier League this evening. Brentford were beaten by Everton at the weekend. Southampton, meanwhile, drew nil-nil with Manchester United at Old Trafford. Will those two results respectively, Joel, give Southampton confidence heading into this game? Because if they win, they can go clear of the bottom three. Well, I think for Southampton, it'll make them confident that Brentford aren't Ivan Drago, who can't be beaten after their 12-game unbeaten streak came to an end. Um, it was. It, it just shows just how much Brentford are well-run as a club. But then when you look at Southampton, um, I know their manager was very critical of how everyone was basically focusing on the red card that Casemiro got rather than their performance. But, I mean, the facts were they had 10 men for a good 60 minutes of the game. So it's hard to give a a good view of how they played because I think any team with 10 men is usually a team that's going to be a little bit more dominant than the other one at most stages but for Southampton I mean when I watched them at Old Trafford I didn't think well I thought they were better than I, I expected but again it's skewed when you're at a total advantage during the game but I think for them <clears throat> again it's more so just the psychological factor from being bottom of the Premier League and seeing other teams slowly uh, drift away from you 
But again, when you look at the Brentford side, they're just similar to Brighton to me in terms of how difficult they are to beat. I mean, when you look at the teams that actually play and go away to uh, to Brentford, it is a difficult get, uh, difficult ground to go to. <clears throat> and then when you look at, for example, where they are in the Premier League and the fact that Ivan Tony is still able to keep banging in the goals, I don't think anything's come of his case so far. It's a game which Southampton need to try and capitalise on with the fact that Brentford have just been beaten because you don't know how they're going to react after such a good um, run of form. So let's see how that goes for them. But yeah, Southampton, they need to be careful. They don't start catching a drift from all the teams above them because then it does start to become a bit of an uphill task. Yeah, it just shows how close it is that if Southampton win tonight, pick up three points against Brentford, they go clear of the relegation zone by a point and they're currently bottom of the table. So that's how tight things are. And if Crystal Palace end up being beaten by Brighton, well, that changes things again in terms of the complexion of the table. Both of those games this evening, Brighton against Palace and Southampton against Brentford are 7.30 kickoffs. A little bit later on, though, in the evening, we'll see the Champions League Liverpool against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. Always sounds mouthwatering, but Jurgen Klopp has given his side a 1% chance of going through to the quarterfinals. We'll talk about that next here on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is FSD. Hit subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode. I'm Niall. I've got Joel and Marley with me today and we're going to talk about the Champions League now. As Manchester City were in action last night, they absolutely demolished the Bundesliga side Leipzig, whilst Liverpool are in action this evening as they take on an old enemy of theirs, Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. They currently trail 5-2 to Real Madrid on aggregate. My rationale here, Joel, is that Liverpool are a good side, but they're not good enough at the moment, to go to the Bernabeu, score four past Real Madrid without conceding and get through to the quarterfinals. I just cannot see this happening. But I thought the same thing against Manchester United and they won that game 7-0. So it's hard to know really where this one is. The statistics and all of the logic suggests that Liverpool have too much to do. Yeah, well, they did win seven nil, but then they couldn't comp- They couldn't go above it and win the next game, and they got beat by Bournemouth. So I think again, they're not the team that everyone thinks they are. I do think that was a massive blip, personally. But when you look at Real Madrid, even though they're very far off Barcelona at the moment in La Liga, um, a Barcelona side who got, I would say, non. When they played against Manchester United, it wasn't a huge amount of threat that I saw from them. But with Real Madrid, there's just something about that club and the way in which they go about their business in the Champions League, where it doesn't matter what type of form they're in in the domestic division, they just are not dead until the final whistle goes. And even then, I would put it past them to put a few more in because they just seem to never be able to die. But of course, going into this game, 5-2 on aggregate, I think for Liverpool, it's good that there's no away goals. Otherwise, I think it will be absolutely dead and buried. I think for Liverpool fans, they'll be more annoyed that the return leg isn't at Anfield where they can you know, have that similar reaction to when uh, they beat Barcelona when they were 3-0 down from the camp now and then came back to Anfield and won 4-0. Sometimes it is better to come back to your home crowd, but going to the Santiago, Santiago Bernabeu and trying to score three or four goals if needed and without response to Real Madrid is just... It's like one of the most impossible tasks in the world, isn't it? I think the only team that have done that in the last two decades is Barcelona when um, when Lionel Messi was at his absolute peak with that Guardiola side. So it's going to be a game which 
again, they have nothing to lose. They can completely go for it. He'll have to play a very, very attacking side. It's going to be one of those games where I can see them being exposed constantly at the back because, again, they have nothing to lose. They have to just completely go for it and really be offensive. Um, I think one thing that may suit in their favour is the fact that the El Clasico is on Sunday. And Real Madrid desperately need to take points off Barcelona because the gap's nine points in La Liga at the moment. And I think if Barcelona managed to win that and it's at Barcelona's ground, I think the league is pretty much done for the, in terms of um, not being able to come back because Barcelona have barely dropped points this year. So if there's anything to go by, maybe it's the fact that Real, uh, Ancelotti may feel a slightly weakened side. But again... I just don't, even with a weak inside, I still don't think that they can be got out, to be honest. I do think that Liverpool may win on the night, but in terms of being able to get three or four goals, I just think it's completely out of their capabilities. Yeah, feel free to clip this up when I get it spectacularly wrong, but Liverpool aren't winning this tie tonight, Maliale. They just can't. <laughs> uh, no, they're not. No, um, I don't think so anyway. I'll join you in that boat of uh, people... Mm coming at us oh you can't predict the future you're rubbish um yeah no it's, it's it looks too far doesn't it i mean you know two nil up in the first game had them you know with this sort of false sense of of hope and then they just collapsed and you know i got i got stick the other week for saying that liverpool don't look that good when you get at them um and i think everything was sort of proved in that game it was a perfect little microclimate of of liverpool right now that real madrid game where they started off well and they attacked really well, but once then they just went, all right, we've won this. And then they just, you know, switched off completely and conceded five goals and they're practically out of the Champions League now. It's going to take probably their biggest European sort of night ever to, to come back from this, really, even though it's only a um, is it quarterfinal game, whatever it is, or last 16 or whatever it is. So, you know, they've had bigger nights, Milan half, uh, Milan in Istanbul, but... You know that's a final, and sort of anything can happen. So, I think with uh, with this, you know, away in the Bernabeu, having to win by four goals or or three goals and then penalties, it's you know it's um it's a hell of a task. But I can't see them doing it. To be fair, not after if they'd have, if they'd have battered Bournemouth the way they battered uh, Man United mm. and won three or four nil, I'd be thinking, do you know what? With with the um, El Clasico on Sunday. There's a chance, but after losing to Bournemouth and you know being eighth in the league or whatever they are, it's it's just uh, it doesn't it doesn't give any sort of hope that anything's there for Liverpool tonight. But yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But you never know. We certainly will, and it's unlikely that we're going to see as big a scoreline as we saw last night between Manchester City and Leipzig at the Etihad. Seven nil, City winners on the night, absolutely demolishing the German side winning 8-1 on aggregate. Pep Guardiola's team through to the next stage of the competition. They demolished them, absolutely smashed them. And Erling Haaland scored five goals. I feel like we're running out of things to say about Haaland, to be honest with you. In terms of numbers and pure output, it is remarkable, Joel, what he's achieving. And we were kind of joking before the podcast that it was a a pretty scruffy five goals. I mean, there were a couple of good finishes in there, but there was one to make it his hat-trick, which was kind of like scrubbed in on the line at the back post. But it's goals. That's all you need is goals as a striker. He's doing his job and he's doing his job better than anyone else in the world at the moment. 
yeah, I mean, the fastest player to 30 goals in the Champions League, I think it's 10 games more than the next quickest player, fastest to 20 Champions League goals. He's got 38 this season. I mean, as far as his move to City goes, and if anyone had any doubts at the start of the season, I remember when we were all comparing who would have the better start, Darwin Nunez or Haaland, and there was a little bit of a, okay, Haaland will be better, but I don't, need, I don't think we Only Liverpool fans are asking that question, Joe. <laughs> yeah, and only they had a, con- a convincing answer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it just shows just how well he's adapted to just a new country, new, new stadium, new team. It's not easy, especially for the fact he's so young as well. But when you looked at him when he played for Dortmund in the Champions League, you could see that that kind of competition, it just suits him so well because foreign teams, they do seem to leave such gaps for strikers like him to just completely exploit. And when you look at all of his five goals, probably the worst five goals you'll ever see. Very scrappy, very all basically two-yard tappings for the most part. But um, yeah, I, I was I'm, I'm surprised at how well he has done. I knew he would start quite quickly at City and probably get around 20-25 goals for the season but I didn't anticipate it'd be this much and so obviously joining a pretty elite club of uh, elite club of players who've scored five goals in a Champions League game which is Lionel Messi and Luis Adriano um, it's quite some company having Adriano next to him so uh, <laughs> I think it's uh, it, yeah I think especially for City as well coming over that barrier of just the Champions League which has really not favoured them in recent seasons where they go out to the likes of Lyon or lose very simple games, which if they were a Premier League game, they would have completely turned them over. So I think it's a massive step forward for them as a club. Uh, but again, let's see how they do when they get tested against you know the real top sides in the in the in Champions League. But he had an interview just at the end of the game with Thierry Henry and on CBS. And I think the main gripe of it was that He's been brought in to win the Champions League for them. He said himself, they, they know how to win the Premier League, but the Champions League, which seems to be his absolute bread and butter competition, uh, that's the one that they brought him in for. And it showed five goals in the Champions League is not easy to do. So let's see if he can be the missing piece. I still don't think he will be, but um, if he can score five goals in the Champions League, it gives him good signs going forward. Well, the draw for the quarterfinals of the Champions League does take place very soon. And of course, I think we'll find out the pathways as well for the semifinals when that draw is made. Chelsea are through, City are through. Will Liverpool join them tonight? We will wait and see. Next up on Football Social Daily, we're going to answer one of your questions. Quite often we try and answer a few of them at once, but we're just going to answer one because it's an absolute belter. What is Football Social Daily's most hated Premier League eleven? Can't wait to get stuck into this. We'll do it next. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. Two Premier League matches tonight, a Champions League game tonight where Liverpool take on Real Madrid. But forget all of that, because now on the show, we're going to answer one of your questions. Now, forgive me, because I can't remember who sent this question in. I'm not sure whether you know know Marley, but a few weeks ago, someone got in touch with us and said, Hey guys, I'm really interested to know what would be your most hated 11. So myself, Marley and Joel are going to try and Find an answer to that and find 11 players who we think can go down as the most hated 11 in the Premier League. Now, there are some names that immediately spring to mind. I'll come to you first, Marley. Who's screaming out at you at the moment to be included in this most hated 11? <laughs> oh, so I could name probably 
a Premier League <laughs> of, uh, of players. You can pick any of them. Uh, by the way, it was Armand, Armand Fury who uh, sent the message in via Telegram. Well, my um, 11 are 20th in the table and we're red and white stripes, <laughs> so I can just name one, one, to, one to 11 of those guys. Uh, I don't. I mean, how should we do this? Should we do like... I think we should just all throw all of the names we can think of into a melting pot and see if we can pick an 11. <laughs> That's how I think we should do it. I agree. Because I don't want to be debating over who's the most disliked right back of the last 15 years. I just want to be enough, putting I, a team I was, together. I was struggling to think of a right back. Well, Gary Neville, isn't it? Oh, but by the way, are we doing the criteria of like we hate them with a personal agenda or just because they're very good? I think anything goes. I think, you know, we need to right. spill Turns a bit of hatred. It sounds so. when it comes out of your mouth, really, Joel. So. <laughs> <laughs> when you start saying uh, you hate all the Liverpool players just because they keep uh, they keep beating you 7-0, it, uh, it, it'll get uh, thrown in the sea. Come on then, who's going to go with the first one? I'll start off. Um, just because this player gets on my nerves and under my skin the most. And it's not even because of his talent, it's just because of his demeanour on the pitch. Andy Robertson <laughs> for Liverpool is the most 10 men Mike Tyson play you'll ever <laughs> see in your life in terms of the way he struts about on the pitch like he's just become the lineal undisputed heavyweight champion, gets his face into every single it. player. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, he just, he winds me up to no means. Unbelievably annoying player to play against and just the fact like Marley said he plays at Liverpool doesn't help the, the help his cause either but he has to go there he, he really I despise him as a player wow uh, well, I'm going to level that out by saying pretty much all the reasons that you had for Bruno Fernandes complete just because he moans all the time I, I like him as a player but he is an absolute whinge bag like you can give the most stonewall foul against the Man United player and he'll be at the referee, giving him stick, and it's just like, just calm down. Like it's a, it's a clear foul. You'll get one as well at some point in the game. But he, he goes on like you could give the most stonewall obvious free kick, and he'll he'll have something to say about it. So uh, I'll put I'll chuck Bruno in there. No, Anthony Gordon. I know he plays for Wait you now. Wait for it. <laughs> Wait he for plays it to for you come. now. But are you going to put a Newcastle player in your most hated team? <laughs> oh, feels wrong, but. Probably got to do it. Probably got to back it <laughs> up. To be you, fair, yeah, you're too far down the line now. You've got to. Yeah, in. I mean, he's done nothing for us. Yeah, he's he's injured at the minute, but you know, uh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's. I mean, the one thing he has done since new since coming to Newcastle, he's had his hair cut and uh, kept himself quiet. But I think he did an interview actually recently, and he said about uh, he didn't feel like he got the the support from Everton fans when they when they left him, um, when he left them. Sorry. Um, and people were pointing out on Twitter that like he scored one goal in their relegation fight, like one goal in the last twelve games or something. Um, so I think his his view on a lot of things is very warped. Um, and yeah, so I've I've said it before that I, I can't stand him. Um, he plays for us, but I can't I can't go back on it really. So until he scores his first goal from us, then he's then he's my hero. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to throw a couple of names in. I might throw three or four in, actually, because while she's been speaking, it's kind of brought a, th- a few back to my mind. Yes, the floodgates have opened. Joey Barton. Oh, we're doing past ones as well? I think we can include <sighs> past ones. I don't think we should, but but go on, just for argument's sake. Well, Joey Barton's the current manager of Bristol Rovers, and my word, he comes out with some absolute nonsense yeah, to the does, media. Yeah. Uh, El Hadji Juf wasn't a very nice guy, to be honest with you. Um, was he spitting at in people In person, as well at he was. Point? 
I met him when I worked at Leeds, and he was the nicest bloke ever. And he crosses that white line and just becomes an animal. I wonder Starts whether spitting at everyone. I wonder whether Luis Suarez is the same in terms of that, I think because I, obviously he. I bet. I bet he is. Yeah. Bit a few people, didn't he? Mm. So I think he'd be in with a shout. Uh, I want to put Adam Lallana in. <laughs> what? Go on. For- he seems like he seems like the nicest man ever. Don't like him, Marley. Fair enough. It's the most hated eleven, and I don't like him. Is that him. because of his allegiances? Very much so, yeah, but probably. also he's one of the most average players to have played in the Premier League over the last 15 years and get England caps. How he played for Liverpool for so long, I don't know. Because he was injured for most of it, so they couldn't work out how good he was. I mean, Danny Ings was injured for most of his time at Liverpool, and everyone knows how good he is. No one's saying Adam Lallana. Yeah. It, it, everyone will forget about this player. Everyone. <laughs> he's not very memorable at all, is he? My favourite picture of Adam Lallana is the one where um, Fernandinho's got him in a death grip. <laughs> round his neck uh, and he's physically off the floor Lallana start, tried to start on Fernandinho in a game and Fernandinho I think he got sent off for it actually but picked him up by the throat like a prime undertaker <laughs> at Wrestlemania I have to um, I do have to throw one in and it really gets my juices flowing this guy because you know when you've had a hero at your club and then he just cheats on your club and leaves and he turns into the worst enemy it has to be Carlos yeah Carlos Tevez, yeah. honestly, that is the most pantomime villain story you'll ever see in football. Where he won the Champions League with us, he was one of the best, pl- one of the best strikers I've seen at United in terms of he just absolutely played his heart out. He was such an intelligent striker, and the way in which he went to City and when he came back to Old Trafford for those two-legged, uh, I think it was the Carling Cup at the time, the two-legged Carling Cup games, and the way in which he went about that game. And the way in which he had that rest in peace Ferguson sign when they won the league that season. <laughs> Honestly, I've never felt so angry. Living oh, rent it free killed me. ever since. I, it, the only issue is because I loved him so much as a player. I thought if he would have stayed at United, he would have become an absolute legend. Because, I mean, when you look, when you see what happened with his career, went on to become an incredible player at Juventus. Um, and then obviously went back to, I think, Corinthians and won the league there. He's such an incredible player, and it hurt me so much to see him go to City. But yeah, he has to be in there for me. Just it, I cannot get over him going there. I've seen a few shouts for Xhaka. Obviously, he's been really good this season for Arsenal. But there was that whole thing where he fell out with the Arsenal fans, and he just kept getting sent off, and he just generally wasn't very good for a long, long time. So I've seen a few shouts for Xhaka. Ashley Young seems to be popping up quite a bit as well. He seems to be quite disliked, having had a quick Google search. Um, Tevez is in there. I'm surprised, Marley, you haven't chosen Alex Awobi. He's a player who was quite expensive for Everton, yeah. and you've made your thoughts clear on him. I'm trying to recall them, because like, when I watched your match of the day, I sort of go, ah, hate him, hate him. And then when I'm asked the question, I was like, there's so many names in my head, but I can't like pick any out. Yeah, but I'm the same. Awobi is um, definitely one of them, just because it's not anything like personal against no, him. Like, no. I just think Everton fans say he's really good. Because he's improved, but he's improved from like one out of ten to two and a half out of ten. He still <laughs> costs you forty million quid, which is the worst business pound for pound that I've can ever remember in the Premier League. Uh, I think how old is he now? About twenty seven, twenty eight ish, and he's still don't know his best position. It's like all of a sudden now he's a centre midfielder. He used to be a winger who didn't score or assist. Now he's a midfielder, doesn't really score or assist. Puts a few tackles in, but doesn't win them. Like, I just, yeah, he's uh, he's one of them that I think it's it's mainly because of his price tag and the fact that somebody was willing to pay mm. for him. But now we're on Everton. There is a guy I can't stand as well. Mope. Neil Mope. 
Jesus wept. What a little... I just, think, I think I a mean, lot of Everton fans agree that they probably don't like the, Mope either. <laughs> yeah, we love the word house on this podcast, don't we? And he's the epitome of that word, the personification of it. Because he's only on the pitch, if, if he's on the pitch, to wind people up. It's all he does. Like, he just runs around and starts little fights and tries to get people booked. And it's like, you're, you're a striker. Like, try and score goals. Like, try and try and win your, your team games rather than win your team a numerical advantage by being a, you know, just a, a spiky little, like, horrible player who, who gets people booked and, and has them towing, the, like, running that little, like, uh, line of, oh, they might get booked again type of thing. But, yeah, he's got a terrible scoring record. Is another player Everton spent four times as much on that they should have. I think he cost him twenty million quid from Brighton. Brighton are still laughing about that to this very day because <laughs> he signed Mitoma with the money, I think, um, and maybe Caicedo as well. So yeah, it's um, he's he's one that's that's in there for me. I'm putting Pascal strike in. We're giving him enough telters. I feel oh, like he deserves to be. Yeah. Uh... He deserves to be in the most hated eleven. <laughs> he can't defend, but I, I quite like him as a, I just I don't mind him as a player because he's like good on the ball and stuff. He just whenever you see him, he he's just not very good. Yeah, One person I do want to put in good, talking yeah. of defenders, Kyle Walker, got to go in for which part of his uh... <laughs> just some of the things he's done over the last few years. I, I know we shouldn't judge people too much, but what he's done recently and things like that, it's just quite frustrating to see he's constantly in the news doesn't ever seem to learn his lesson um mm. so i'd want to put him in there because i can understand why some people might dislike him i don't think there are many city fans Pickford at the moment are too pleased with him that's what i was about to say we need a goalkeeper i'm just going through the everton team we I need do a goalkeeper <laughs> so jordan pickford much for a similar reason to bruno fernandez probably gets in this most disliked 11 because of the way he shouts at his defenders someone yeah, could have a shot yeah. from 40 yards yeah and it be no one's fault defensively, and he'll still be out there shouting yeah, at people for no reason. I hate it, that. It wind me up that. I, it, it, a sort of um, consequence of your job as a goalkeeper is that sometimes you're going to have to make saves. Like yeah. your defense can't stop everything. At some point, a shot will come in, and you will have to save it. And he's proved himself to be the best in England in terms of well, in Gareth Southgate's thinking. Um, <laughs> but yeah, his his sheer anger at having to do his job. Uh, never fails to uh, to wind me up, and there's the fact that you know he obviously used to play for Sunderland and stuff, and he cannot mentally get over, he cannot mentally get himself in a place to compete against Newcastle um, without losing his head at the fans who give him a bit of stick, and he just loses his head, which is hilarious for me. But yeah, he's uh, he's in there for me. So let's um, let's end it with a manager. Who's the manager that has caused you the most hate? in Premier League history. But hell, I don't know. Um again I'm doing that thing of It's got to be Steve Bruce. <laughs> yeah, that's oh. that's surely for you, Marley. Surely. I thought it was a tap in Steve Bruce. That, that's an early Harlan tapping. I know a lot of people hate Mourinho. Yeah. Who? Mourinho just because of nah. the way he acts. Nah, I love him. Nah, cuz he's pure I love box office, man. I love him. Yeah, I love him. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's one thing. Um Nathan Jones. <laughs> Irritating. Yeah. Terrible manager, Joe Kinnear. Oh my god! <laughs> Who's the guy? Nice Who's the guy you had? Carter. Joke. Who's Carter? Was it Carter? John Carver. John Carver. That's it. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, he thought he was the best coach in the world or something. Oh, Some yeah, of the that, stuff he that would got say. kind of taken out of context, but it was always going to be when you say a, a quote as stupid as that. Yeah, uh, Kinnear. 
but Kinnear, we we got lucky with Kinnear because he's. His health problems uh, stopped him from being there until this very day. I, I still think he'd be hanging on to the coattails of someone to this day if his uh, health problems hadn't kicked in. But yeah, probably Steve Bruce because it was prolonged. Um, it was you know he was in charge of us for two and a half years or so whatever or whatever it was. And you know anyone listening to this podcast back then will will know that every every Monday I came in. I remember that one after the Sheffield United game when we lost one nil and he came out with I tried to play two false tens. And I, you know, two false tens, mate, is two defensive midfielders alongside your back five and your existing defensive midfielder. So you're <laughs> you're essentially talking a back eight there with with Callum Wilson on his own, on his own up front. So yeah, there's um, he, yeah, he's got to be a clear winner for me. I I would I'd quite like to say Deitch, but I res- deep down I respect what Sean Deitch does with such a um limited resources. I feel like you'd be his type of striker, Marley. I'm nowhere near tall enough to be a Sean Dyche striker. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you'd be a Harvey Barnes type, um, uh, Ashley Barnes type for him. <laughs> Ashley Barnes. What, a fake Austrian passport? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Uh, no, I, I, there is respect for, for what he's done, to be fair, with such a small club in, in Burnley and what he'll probably do with Everton as well this season. Okay, well, that's our most hated 11. I'll go through some of the players. What have we got here? Andy Robertson, Anthony Gordon, Bruno Fernandes, Luis Suarez, Adam Lallana, Tevez, Jordan Pickford, Alex Awobi, Kyle Walker, Neil Mope. And to manage the club, we've gone for... Bruce. Steve Bruce. Of course we have. All right, that's it for Football Social Daily today. We'll be back tomorrow with some more chat about those Premier League games that are happening tonight, as well as, of course, looking forward to the weekend and any of the other news and views from the top flight of English football. This is the place to be to catch them all in podcast form. From Marley, Joel and I, that is it for today. Thanks for listening to FSD. We'll speak to you on the next one. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.